Welcome to another episode of Make and Multiply, where we are talking about the sermon text. We call this Hear and Obey because our aim is to hear God's Word and not just be hearers only, but to be doers of the Word. And so we are discussing Psalm 10, in particular verse 4, that Greg just preached on Sunday, December 10. I'm Ryan Chase, one of the pastors at Emmaus Road, and I am joined today by Mark Christensen and Matt Groon. Glad to have you guys here. Um, excited to hear your thoughts. And you know, I think we say this every time, but we we certainly look forward. We don't always know where this is going to go, what comes out, but we do know we're always edified and mm. strengthened and enriched just by mm-hmm. the, the process and the experience and the discipline of talking about God's Word with a view to hearing and understanding as well as applying what God has said. So I'm going to read Psalm 110, and then we'll focus in on that verse 4 that Greg preached. And... Um, See what God has in store for us. So this is Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way, therefore he will lift up his head. Father, thank you for your word. And as we um, ask you every week, would you speak to us? Would you sanctify us by your truth? Your word is truth. And so we trust you to be at work in our lives through this word. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Verse 4 in particular is our focus. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That is a word from God Hmm. spoken. We understand this to be to the Son of God, which is uh, the focus of our Advent series, places in Scripture where the Father directly speaks to and about the Son. And this address in particular, you are a priest forever after the order. I think the thing that stands out immediately to me, and probably to most people, is, as Greg put it in the sermon, what is a Melchizedek? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> uh, everything is going along just smoothly up until that point, and then what on earth is a Melchizedek? Um, yeah. Observations, thoughts from you guys as you come to this text? Questions? I mean, just based off that question you had there, would it be the same meaning if the text didn't say after the order of Melchizedek? Huh. Would it just be the same thing as you're a priest forever? Where I think the author here is, um, David here is writing, you know, the father's saying this, David's writing this, um, there's something significant about this Melchizedek yeah. or whatever Melchizedek is <laughs> that uh, we should notice. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so it's significant enough that God spoke this. Yeah. Um, it's inspired. That, that's a great way to put it. Would it make any difference? Another, another thing that I often do when I'm reading texts like this or things that I don't understand, is like, like we're doing right now, asking questions of the text, like Mark just did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what would happen if this wasn't that line? in the order of Melchizedek was in there. Mm -hmm. Another question, why Melchizedek? Why not Mm. a priest in the order of Aaron? Right. right. Why 
why does it seem like he pulls from a real abstract, you know, and again, like, like you said, this is, this is text of God the Father speaking of the Son through King David. Yep. Um, I was reading earlier this morning in, in a commentary on, on the authorship of this psalm. It says, uh, a commentary says, nowhere in the Psalter does so much hang on the familiar title of a psalm of David as it does here. Um, and th- that goes into that's interesting. Mostly what's said at the beginning of yeah. like the Lord said to my Lord, "What the heck is?" Yeah, because because he's saying the Lord, all Yahweh. caps, says to my Lord, yeah. and it's the King who says there is a Lord somewhere between, yeah, <laughs> God Yahweh and Him, the King. So authorship is important here because mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. just important to know that yes, these are words of God the Father to the Son through the medium of. David, and if you if that's true, if it's from David, well, who were the priests of his day? It was from the order of yeah. Aaron. So it just has this. The question I ask when I read that, when you come to that kind of stop, is why Melchizedek? Because mm. um, I think, and I think the answer is, and I think the reason why it it would fit in kind of how we understand it as a messianic text is in the order of Melchizedek pulls from something outside of the um, the covenant nation, the Old Testament mm-hmm. nation of Israel, almost like when Paul anchors his arguments on complementarianism in creation realities, David here is pulling the priestly analogy from something outside of the um, the, the covenantal sac- ceremonial yeah. system of the Old Testament. So, what he, I think, what the point is, is it's extrapolating out. There's something big going even on higher, here. Even yeah, better. That, that's a helpful comparison. That, um, yeah, the way that Paul goes back to creation mm-hmm. pre-fall, right? Um, in the same way here, um, you know, Psalm 110, and then this is quoted numerous times in the Book of Hebrews. The mm-hmm. author of Hebrews really lands on this, drills down into it. Yeah, it, it, this is reaching back before Moses, before Aaron, before Levi. The, the tribe of the Levites are given that assignment of being mm-hmm. um, priests in the temple. Descendants of Aaron, his sons, are um, receive that priesthood. And the author of Hebrews makes that point that um, Jesus is not from the tribe of Levi. He's right. not a descendant of Aaron. Right. And so he can't be, by descent, a priest in that order. So... In a priestly role, is he a lesser priest? Is this some kind of like bending or breaking the rules? Right. And here the author of Hebrews is saying, not at all. This is actually a higher right. order of priesthood right. that predates and the, Aaron and, and his sons. And the and the Aaronic, <laughs> we just about, the, the 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 Aaron priesthood is actually a less or a a vision or a analogy of that greater thing. Yeah, it's a placeholder. That's right. Yeah, it serves for a time. Right. They're, Aaron and his line are going to you know, fulfill this role, but they are a marker for something bigger and better. Like the line of David, like right. the, king, the, king, the kingly rule of David here in Psalm 110 is pointing to something greater. Yeah. Um, so it's not that David was great and then you dissolve and are kind of dilute down at Jesus. No, David is the, the, the placeholder or the, um, the, the opening... Like uh, what's it's the opening of a musical, um, the entrecte or the uh, 
What are they called? The, uh, the overture. Overture. Over, the overture. Gonna, it was right there on the tip That's of my That's right. I, right. I could tell. Yeah. <laughs> the overture, the beginnings of, like any good overture, all of the rest of the musical yeah, the are, the, are, the, are all in that overture. You yeah. hear it all, and it's just these, you just get bites, and then you think, oh, man, when I get to that, I recognize it. Yeah. And so when you get to Jesus, all of the, all of the pieces are in place. In mm-hmm. Psalm 110 particularly, especially how the author of Hebrews and the New Testament talks it continually points back to this text to talk about not only the priesthood of Jesus, but the kingly rule of Jesus um, and making those connections. Uh, that's vital. And so yeah. this this is such a rich psalm mm-hmm. for us, particularly this verse. Yeah. Yeah, I think in verse 4 you've got, I mean, verse 4b, so you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. First you have um, the purpose or like what his function is. You're a priest. And so Greg dived into or dove into what is a priest? What does a priest do? Mm. Um, why is a priest important? Why do we need a priest? And then second of all, I feel like you have like the quality of Christ's role um, as a priest. It, well, he's after the order of Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. Um, we encounter this Melchizedek first in Genesis 14, where um, Abraham's giving an offering um, to Melchizedek. And we have this Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. So we have this king priest um, functioning kind of this precursor towards what we'll see later in Psalm 110. Mm -hmm. Right. And and this priest is different. Um, This priest is not like the priests of the line of Aaron, not like or of the family of Levi or even of the the great um, like Samuel. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I think of Samuel or I think of Aaron and his sons and how they... Uh, misused mm-hmm. the fire and were then yeah. destroyed, or like Eli's sons, mm-hmm. um, who were the, the text calls them worthless men um, who abused their power. This priest will not be like those because, like we said, he's 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 pointing to something older than mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, he will never abuse the office. Um, he, he's pointing to something older, more perfect um, than the whole house of. Levi or the whole, uh, the whole Levi priesthood. So again, it's just a, it's a, it's a crescendoing. Mm-hmm. It's an amplification by pointing to some, some older, as, as Aslan would say, older magic mm-hmm. is afoot. Yes. Hebrews 7 is a helpful text that gives commentary on that understanding. You know, it refers to Genesis 14, 18, Mark, that you just mentioned. And, and that's a great you know, side note just about whenever we're reading the Bible, trying to understand what does a text mean. When you come across names, keywords, phrases, best starting point is just to look, well, is there anywhere else in Scripture that talks about this? Mm-hmm. So, so when you're asking what is a Melchizedek, first thing you notice is Genesis 14. Go read that narrative. Who is this guy? He makes a very brief appearance, but packed into that one verse, Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of God most high. The author of Hebrews in chapter seven makes a big deal out of those three titles. One, his name, Melchizedek in Hebrew, Melchi, so that's king, and Zedek Zedek. is the form of the word for righteousness. So he is a king of righteousness. That's a big deal. He's the king of Salem. That's the place he's the king of, and Salem is the word that means peace, like shalom. Um, So he's a a king of peace. He's a king of righteousness. And then he is given this title, priest of God most high, which is pointing to something deeper and older. I Mm. I think we have a tendency to to think that, well, until Moses and the law and the Levitical priesthood 
there was nobody serving in this role. But actually, you know, going all the way back to Adam, Adam's descendants, we shouldn't be surprised that there were people in the world who knew God That's right. and were in communion with God. Mm-hmm. And so here comes this guy. We don't know anything else about him. We're not told That's anything right. else about his lineage or anything other than he his knew name. God. He knew the <laughs> God, the God Most High, yeah. and he was a priest of God Most High. And so he blesses Abraham, and the author of Hebrews makes a big deal out of that, that the, the greater one speaks the blessing to the lesser one. And so if Abraham is a big deal mm-hmm. in the story of redemption, who's this guy who comes on the scene and speaks right. the blessing to Abraham? He's even greater than Abraham That's is. Right. So all of that really elevates um, this Melchizedek guy and gives us some understanding of what's meant by this declaration when the father looks at the son and says, you are a priest forever after that order, in that, mm. that line of priests. It, it is also really interesting, you know, you know Melchizedek, we're given like you said, just that brief glimpse of him in Genesis. And when you're given that brief glimpse, he's in and he's out. And what's presented then, and then what, the, what you know, David says here in Psalm 110, and then what the author of Hebrews says in, in other places, what referencing back to him, we're just given these names, these titles, the king of Salem, Melchizedek, like you said, the name, the king of righteousness, joy and peace. We're, we're, all, that's all we're giving. Um, it's interesting how you have a union there he is a king and the priest of God Most High. Yeah. Um, th- there's a union already happening in this random character who pops out of nowhere yeah. in, Genesis in Genesis 14, um, who is also the king of Salem, which will become o- most likely is where David is writing the yeah. psalm in, say, in Jerusalem. Salem. That's right. So it's just these interesting weavings together. Uh, this, Sorry, a commentator <laughs> says this. To this can be added, in Melchizedek, priesthood and kingship were united as they were to be in Christ. As Crawford says, the emphasis on Christ as the king in the early chapters of Hebrews, as you're referencing, Ryan, and on him as priest in the later chapters, just as they are in this psalm. It's presented first Christ as the king, mm-hmm. which I'm excited to hear you preach on in, in next week. But then also what we're focused on here is his priesthood. And then you just have this random character out in yeah. <laughs> Genesis 14 as this Boom! He's there. He's talking with the with the covenantal head of of God's people, who will be the father of many nations, and who through through whom all the nations of the world will be blessed. And this this prof, this priest king comes to him and blesses him. Yeah. And you just have this picture of oh, okay, these things can be united, um, not perfectly, until they're pointing to some greater reality, which is all obviously pointing to to Jesus, the yeah. Son. Yeah, it's incredible. I, I think it was helpful to me the way that Greg put it in the sermon yesterday when he um, made that point about, you know, you, your greatest need is for a priest, a great mm-hmm. high priest. We have a need for a priest. Um, and it really was striking. We don't use the word priest. Um, I grew up out on the East Coast, and my dad was a pastor, but a lot of people out there out East are Episcopalian, mm-hmm. and they do call clergy priests. So friends all the time said to me, your, your dad's a priest, right? And that just always sounded weird to me, like, no, he's a pastor, not mm. a priest. <laughs> uh, a lot of Jewish friends out there, they had, you know, rabbis. And so that, that's more common there, that language of priesthood. So, so to hear that yesterday, we need a priest. Mark, like you were saying, what, what is a priest? What, what does a priest do? And that's where the author of Hebrews goes again in chapter seven. If perfection mm. had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, under which the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? So there he's pointing out, why do we need a different priest from a different line? Hmm. Because that line 
is not able to make atonement once and for all. That's right. So we do need a better priest, a great high priest. And so then if there's a change in priesthood, there's a change in the law, and the author goes on there. Um, It is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. There's no (laughs) expectation for a priest to come from the tribe of Judah, only a Mm -hmm. king. And so that whole idea, like, how how could it be? You you, you try to put yourself in the shoes of those people, this great mystery. How is one man going to be both king and priest if he's not descended? He can't be from both of those tribes, and... um, and yeah, how's that work? So this becomes even more evident in Hebrews 7, 15, uh, uh, when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not only on the basis, uh, not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. And, and then it's, it's just the word from the Father that makes him a priest. Mm-hmm. The Lord has sworn. Yeah. He won't change his mind. You are a priest forever. Yeah. That, yeah. That's, yeah, why is he a priest? Is he descended from the right family? No, because the Father said to him, you are a priest forever after this order. I was thinking yesterday as Greg was kind of giving emphasis to what does it mean for him to be a priest forever? Mm. I think it's easy to glaze past that. Um, A priest who does his work, makes atonement for sin, and then he leaves the most holy place. Whereas Christ, he goes and he sits down at the right hand of the Father. He's that priest forever. His work is um, good forever. Um, We don't need another great high priest like Jesus. Mm -hmm. We have the one. So um, I think that's that's significant that... He sits there right now, um, yeah. pleading our case still. He is still our priest. Right. Yes. And yeah, I, I think that that word or that clause forever gets a lot of work done for mm. us in that, in that text. Because like you guys just said, if it were just from the line of, if this was just another you know, uh, priest of, of Aaron from the line of, Le- or from the house of Levi, well then... We'd still be. How how are the blood of bulls and goats doing? How how's it doing for us? Yeah, <laughs> like we need a sacrifice that will do away with our sin forever. And in that, in Christ, in the spotless Son of God, uh, who is the King and the Priest, who is doing it all on our behalf, representing us before the Father, our sin before the Father, who will then the Father will then pour His wrath out on Him and. All that that's going on forever. So it's, yeah. you know, for us, for me, uh, that clause is everything. Because mm. that is what, it's one thing to sit and think, oh, wow, Jesus paid for our sins for a moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, oh, gosh, I just sinned again. Mm-hmm. Oh, now we have to crucify the Son of God again. No, that sacrifice got it done forever. And in that is where our assurance lies. It all rests on that phrase. Because if that's not there, what hope do we have for tomorrow? Yeah, we, we we might have had it for a moment, but you know, moments come and go. But I, I continue to sin, so it's just it's a beautiful it's a beautiful phrase for our souls. Mm-hmm. It's good news for us that He is the priest forever, mm-hmm. um, interceding on our behalf forever. Yeah, He continues to mediate. He continues to yeah. represent us. He continues to intercede for us. Again, Hebrews is just so rich, and that's that's where you know anyone who wants to study this further should go. Hebrews five, six, seven, and on. Um, it, it's amazing how much time the author of Hebrews devotes to this this idea of Melchizedek, who right. seems like a out of nowhere character in the Old Testament, but but he he makes that point. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant, better mm-hmm. than 
the Mosaic covenant better than the Old Testament law um, because he holds his priesthood permanently mm. and continues forever. So he that that is an office he still holds and in which he's still functioning for our benefit. So this is this is good news for us. I, yeah. I think the connection when you go from okay, that all sounds uh, historical, academic, a little bit obscure. Right. What does all that mean? What what's the application of that? I I think the root of it is in Hebrews, um, a matter of assurance that th- this is mm. for us the the confidence that we yeah. have better promises, a better covenant, a better priest, better sacrifices, which all just serve to convince us our sins really are paid for once and for all. We really do have full access to the Father. We can come to Him through this great high priest with full confidence and assurance that we will not find wrath and judgment, but mercy and grace to help us in our time of need, as Hebrews 4 says. So that kind of assurance, it just completely changes how we relate to God because we have the kind of priest that we need. Mm. I I think it's just, it's worth noting, like, why do we celebrate, I mean, why Christmas is so important to us. Um, It's this, it's these type of connections, Mm -hmm. the stuff that what, what the author of Hebrews is doing and why we're spending so much time in that because he's pulling from stuff like this. Why is it so important? This is what sets Christianity Mm -hmm. apart. Mm -hmm. We look at the old Testament and there are a couple of ancient um, religions that can all kind of agree with the old Testament. Think of, Islam and Judaism and Christianity, for one. Well, what separates us from them, particularly Judaism, is that we look at the Old Testament text and see it's going somewhere, mm-hmm. it's moving somewhere, and it's landing in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so, what, he, what the author of Hebrews is doing is saying is making those connections, which should, like you were saying, Ryan, instill in us like this is good news for mm-hmm. me. Um, and if you think on the songs we sing at, at this time. A lot of the songs of the of of Christmas carols are pointing to that reality. Um, o come, O come, Emmanuel. It, it, the whole the whole idea of Advent of anticipation is what the Old Testament was doing. It's anticipating the coming of this prophet, priest, king who would fulfill all the things. I think of the the uh, the last lyric of O little town of of Bethlehem. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight mm-hmm. in, in Bethlehem, in this little stable that a child was born, the, the incarnation of God. Yeah. All, of the, all that the prophets were longing for, all that the people of God have been yearning for, this deliverance, this, um, all the, the, I love the, that phrase, the, yeah, hopes, the hopes and, and fears. the fears yeah. of all of it are rich. met in Jesus. Um, and how particularly this past week, as we look at it, the Father is speaking about mm-hmm. the Son. So this isn't just you know theologians sitting in a room looking at all these connections. No, God is kind of wiping away all the debris and just saying, here's what I say, yeah. and I'm swearing on it. Yeah. This is an oath. I make this vow, you are my priest forever. Uh, and that's just such good news mm-hmm. for us. So we have, we have a text like this that hopefully praying that people's tank of you know assurance was filled yes. up mm-hmm. again yesterday. But I mean, so many people who either... Um, just take for granted their acceptance before God um, by through this great high priest, or they doubt their, you know, acceptance. Right. You know, they lack assurance. What would you counsel people mm. to do? Mm. Yeah, Listen think, to the sermon again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's that's a. Oh, I like how you 
set that up in terms of those two ditches that, you know, on the one hand, you can fall into a um, kind of like the illustration Greg used in his sermon of the guy who says, I, I know I'm, I'm good with God because I won the lottery twice. Um, had just no doubt in his mind, not, not thinking about sin or guilt or the need for a high priest, hmm. um, just kind of looking circumstantially. Life is good for me, so God must... Right, be showing me favor, and it's easy for any of us to fall into that when life is going well, just mm. to take it for granted and and not know that we need a priest. Um, or, like you said, the the other hand is people who just perpetually lack assurance. Um, for both, the remedy is to look at Christ, looking at Christ, right. setting your eyes on Christ, considering who He is, what He did. That's the remedy to uh, too much self-righteousness, self-confidence when you consider why why did he have to come as a priest? Why did he have to come as a priest who offered not just an animal sacrifice, but he offered himself as a sacrifice? Mm-hmm. What is it about my life that requires that? Why, why can't I just come to God on my own the way that I am? Mm-hmm. Why is that not good enough? When you meditate on the work of Christ for you, that humbles us. It gives us an awareness of... You just can't look at... Christ crucified on the cross and say, oh yeah, my sin is no big deal. It, it wasn't too much for God to just, you know, sweep it under the rug. No, Christ hanging on the cross is not the Father saying, no big deal, I'll cut you some slack, right. everything's good. No, clearly our sin is a, a big deal, so it, it's a remedy for that. And on the other hand, to those who lack assurance, looking at Christ in his priestly role, offering himself, you, you have to ask, am I saying that was not enough? that he's, mm. he's not enough of a priest, that some other sacrifice is required, some better priest. What more could you want? What, what more could the Father do? And That's to right. see that right. y- your assurance is rooted in an oath from the Father. It's not like yeah, the right. Son came along and tried to convince the Father, don't be too mad at them. And you know, No, the, the Father is saying, by oath, I'm, I swear you are a priest forever. There, there's nothing then that can remove him from that office. And so then you know, this is the Father's heart to save me. He, he is not out to nail me on a technicality. He has provided the priest that I needed mm-hmm. and the superior sacrifice, and he was glad to do it and to guarantee it with his own word. So mm. that's his heart toward me. Yeah, it, it really is. A, the, the, um, our view of our own sin is correlative. Correlate, correlative. Is that right? Cor- Sounds good. Correlates. <laughs> it connects to... Our view of our sin connects to our view of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, how 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 great we think of our sin will directly impact our view of Christ. If I view my sin as really, like you were saying, yeah. not that big of a deal, Christ is really not that big of a deal. If I look at my sin and recognize what it is, which is a affront and offense and a rejection and rebellion against the Father, then I look to Christ and say, what a Savior, because mm-hmm. he would... And, it, and the, the craziest thing of all... The Father, who I rebelled against, is the one who sent the Son right. to be this priest, to, to stand in my place. Yeah. That's where the gospel turns on its head, and, uh, and it really is the sense of, I, I don't deserve this, but God has provided. He, he, it's like Abraham being asked to sacrifice Isaac, mm-hmm. and he does, he, he's ready to do it. Break, his heart had to have been just shattered, um, but he's ready to do it, and then God provides the, the, the lamb. God provides the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. That is, that was good news for Abraham in that moment, and it's good news for us every yeah. day. Yeah.
Excellent. What a text. The end of Hebrews 7, uh, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Hmm. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. And those are just staggering words. Hmm. Who would have ever imagined a high priest who offers himself as the sacrifice? For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect mm. forever. It, and then you put that together. This priest who offers himself is the son. That's right. Why in the world would the father be willing to let his son endure the agony and the pain and the suffering as the sacrifice for sinners? Um, he loves us. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. incredible. So I, I would point people to Hebrews 5 through 10 as outstanding commentary. If, if all of that category of priest, sacrifice, that whole system, Melchizedek, how does Jesus fit in as the better priest, better sacrifice, it, nothing better than Hebrews 5 through 10. Yeah, and I think just as we're wrapping up here, what you said earlier has kept ringing through my head. What more could have the Father done? Um, if you're struggling with your assurance today, what more could have God done for you than... Yeah sending his only son as an infant to grow up and live and um, to ultimately suffer for not his sins, but for ours. So yeah, um, hopefully that uh, gets worked down in our souls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this has been so good in, in this season of Advent to focus on these various roles of the son mm-hmm. as described by the father. That's right. Because even though these texts aren't explicitly you know, what we think of as Christmas, birth of Christ, baby Jesus in the manger texts, you don't, Christmas doesn't make sense unless you have the hope and the expectation of what, what was this baby born to do? Because when, when the baby is born, it's, it's not the baby as a baby that's the hope, it's this is the one who will grow up to fulfill right. all of these hopes and expectations. Um, and one of those being to be our, our great high priest. He appoints a son who has been made perfect mm-hmm. forever. That's right. Praise God. That's right. Thank you, guys. Mm-hmm. 